Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University, and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio. Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member-based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset. Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing from cake-making to wine-tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Michael Lameco from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Chef's Story. This is Dorothy Hamilton, and we're broadcasting from the International Culinary Center in front of a live audience. And I'm uh, really excited today because I've, I've gotten to know this man on my right uh, really well. We've, we've had some deep conversations. We, we really have. Sorry. Um, <laughs> really, I, you know, I'm, I can't wait to... Um, have him uh, reveal a little of himself uh, to you folks. But Ignacio Matos is an incredibly celebrated chef. Um, since he's hit the scene in New York City, uh, his restaurants and his reputation has just skyrocketed. And he has, we're going to go through his career of where he has worked, but he has really reached. Uh, a pinnacle in, in the profession with his two restaurants, uh, Estella and Altera Paradiso. Uh, he, he's gotten the recognition um, even of, I mean, Estella is on the 50 greatest restaurant list of the world, of the world. But you know what is more exciting to me? Almost every chef in New York that I meet and I say, where do you like to eat? It's in your restaurants. And I know you have a great team behind you, and we're going to go into that too. But Ignacio, welcome to ICC and Thank Chef's you. Story. Pleasure. Okay, so what we're going to do, it's all about you. Oh, great. Yeah. And uh, we want to know how you became you. And I want, the first thing, I know you're from Uruguay. Uruguay, correct. And I know you've told people that's where Jesus Christ is from. Well, he was born there, right? Yeah, but then they changed their mind. <laughs> no, realized I... it wasn't that great of a place to. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me about Uruguay and uh, how. A small little country, uh, three million and a half of people, uh, mix of Spanish, Italian, for the most part, heritage, but uh, no, with any particular culinary identity, I would say, you know. Uh, it's a lot of things that we do, but like they're all related with, you know, they're connected with some other culture rather than something indigenous. indigenous. It's not really any trace of natives or anything. So we don't have any background like, you know, Argentina, Brazil, Peru, Brazil, they might have. So it's, uh, yeah. It's so what are, what are some of your first um, food memories? Food memories. I mean, they, on my grandmother's side, it's Italian. So we grew up eating mostly Italian immigrant food 
adapted to whatever circumstances, you know, like it's a place that, you know, it was really hard at, at a time to find like coffee and they grew up, you know, they would have coffee and like good cheeses and stuff like that. So they adapted to whatever ingredients they would, they would be able to source or they would start producing. Um, How Italian other. was your grandmother? When, when did they, the Italian side of the family go to well, well, my, immigrate? Her mom was Italian and my grandmother, she, she was, yeah, she was born in Uruguay, but yeah, the mom was pregnant on, on the on boat. On the boat, coming yeah. over. On the boat, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, on the boat, yeah. So, you know, they say that the Italian food in New York is its own thing. You know, meatballs and spaghetti isn't an Italian-Italian thing. It's an American-Italian. And Americans adapted, or Italian-Americans adapted what they found here mm -hmm. to approximate their cuisine. Is there an Uruguay Italian cuisine like that? Are there dishes only there found is, in Uruguay? There is certain adaptations for sure, like in the type of yeah, ravioli or how they do the meat sauces and stuff like that. But it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty it's, it's Italian to an extent, but maybe it's more similar to an American uh, Italian way, but um Oh, it's, it's interesting. You find different things, but uh, I, you know, the background was from Liguria and uh, Milano, most, like, the traces from my family. So I, you know, traveling to Italy, I started figuring it out, like, wow, well, I grew up eating Ligurian Fish. food mm -hmm. for the most part. You know, all these dishes start popping up and making sense. Oh, you know, like Pasqualina. Uh, there is this pie that has a very in interesting story, but um, it's pretty much a uh, Swiss chard uh, pie. Uh, what else? Um, farinata, there is a chickpea flour. Um, but in or, Uruguay, you have a very strong meat culture, correct? It's that's, Yeah. Yes. And in Italy, really, it's not that's a very not. strong, other than but veal. That's the thing. They get there, and, you know, they were... It was a lot of abundance when they get there, you know, Italian and Spanish. They all would come, you know, for different circumstances, starving to this place. And all of a sudden, it's just like cows everywhere, you know. It's like green fields and it, um, yeah. And so growing just, up, did you feel Italian? Did you feel Uruguayan? I felt Uruguayan. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, no, the, the culture is, is a very strong, we have a very strong uh, uh, DNA. Even if we, we are a melting pot, it's, it's a very interesting, uh, passionate culture. And mostly we express it to soccer, but we get very intense with soccer. Even if we're a small little country, it's just, yeah, it, this is when things go crazy. Did you want to be a soccer player growing yeah, up? Of course. <laughs> Of course, that's what you're meant to. You, you, you are a boy that threw a ball at you, and you are like, you better be good at it. Whatever else you do, they're like, eh, great. All right, so we're going to go back to your cooking life. So I, I believe your grandmother was very strong influence for you yeah. growing up. So sure. is that, did she teach you how to cook? Yeah, to an extent, of course. But, uh, yeah, you grew up around the table and around the kitchen, and you're always bothering, and there's no room to mess around. If you want to be in the kitchen, you're going to be helping. If you want to be helping, you would learn. Um, and, of course, it's a lot of labor-intensive kind of preparations, perhaps making raviolis, and she would ro roll the pasta with a pin uh, by hand, and... Of course, it would be very labor intense. We were s small and we didn't have enough weight to put into the pin. Of course, it wasn't much to do, but once, you know, we were teenagers, like she was like, okay, you can put all that energy into this. So we were like rolling pasta and doing stuff like, like that. But also helping with, you know, like we have a farm and we, I was actually, yesterday we were talking, we were, I'm just mixing it all up, but we were, we, were, we were doing a recipe of, um, for the book that we're doing, and it was about blood sausage and blood cake, and I just, one fond memory, it's, you know, 
killing a pig and collecting the blood and stirring blood on a bucket while it's hot so it doesn't coagulate. But this smell is a very special smell. The sound also, but going back to what you were asking, yes, you will be helping in many different ways and it's a lot of memories. Like and we will be helping preserving, you know, peaches on the summer and peppers in oil, uh, tomato sauce, and all those things that were, I really hated it. Like it was summertime and I would rather be- Playing soccer. Play, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when did you have an inkling you wanted to be a chef? What age? I knew that I wanted to cook like around 15, 16. But a chef, I don't know, I remember watching certain TV shows and stuff like that, but I never meet, meet any chef, chef, or- Did you go to restaurants a, a lot? No. Uruguay is not a place that you go that much to restaurant, would you eat at home? Um, so I didn't have that connection. Of course, I watched certain TV shows, but also it wasn't a time where chef was a cool thing to mention, you know? Um, but I really, I'm not that old anyway, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wasn't really with the idea of like becoming a chef. I get really into cooking and somehow I ended up at the right places at the right time. And what was your first job in a restaurant? Uh, in a restaurant? I, I work in like this, in a catering with these two old ladies and a dog for a split of a second. It was very interesting, but they teach me a lot about hard work. Um, really? I mean, what, in what way? How old like were the ladies? I don't know, like 70 something. They were amazing, yeah, they were amazing. But they couldn't sleep at night, so they were doing these catering gigs. And they love it. And we talk a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and this was back in my town, and they would be gossiping. It was very interesting. I knew any, I mean, I knew a few people that were gossiping about. But um, in a restaurant, I entered to a restaurant, and it wasn't really that charming. It was a good restaurant in Uruguay. Um, it wasn't something that I was just looking forward to be. I was like, really, this is the kitchen. <laughs> um, I didn't want to get into details, but you know, it wasn't that clean. It wasn't. It was just like this is it's just lame. But uh, then I got lucky and they sent me over this other kitchen and it was this chef called Michelle Kerber. Uh, that was like very, it was, I was like, I had like, maybe I, that was a main crush. Um, but it was this French guy, you know, dressed with a chef coat and he has a tie and these shiny shoes and like he was moving on the kitchen in this very specific, seductive way, you know, like with a lot of confidence and I didn't have any idea who he was until a few years, not a few years ago, but maybe six, seven years ago. And he was uh, Alain Passard's oh. mentor. Um, and it was back on the day. Uh, I have no clue who he was, but I ended up in this kitchen and I don't know who many know who's Alain Passard, but it's which is pretty amazing. Um, but this was his mentor and, you know, and I knew, of course, who Alain Passard was. I was this in Montevideo? Montevideo. And he was there doing a consulting six months a year and I get to spend uh, those six months with him. And I mean, it was fascinating to see him cooking and connecting with. So let me, let me take you back a little bit. I guess you went into cooking because you loved food. And mm -hmm. so you were drawn to the restaurant. But then to see someone like Alain Passard's mentor cooking in that level of restaurant, had you ever eaten in a restaurant of that caliber? No. So what did you think of the, what, no, what kind of food did do you that? I know. Well, <laughs> Maybe New York, no at home. No, so all of a sudden you're making this food with a lot of technique in it. Mm -hmm. And did you get to taste the food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then he did would, it change your... It. He would even... Yeah, well, sometimes well, you're not Well, he was doing lot. Ratatouille, and, like, he was very... It was fascinating to see him, you know, how he connect 
what he was doing. It was very intense way of cooking. That it had a big impact in the way that I cook indirectly, but also you know seeing Alain Passard cook, you could see where that came from. What, what was the difference between working for the two 70-year-old women and then working for a chef like this? What, what is the difference in what you see and what you learn? Well, it was attention to detail, you know, and the passion, the commitment. I mean, these ladies were super hard workers. Um, but, yeah, definitely the intensity of how you do things, you know, like these guys was like connecting what he was doing, definitely um, putting energy into it. Putting, you know, was heart. there a special, was it meat, was it? Ratatouille, uh, he was doing ratatouille a lot of time. And and I, I was like, oh, I got this. And I see him and every time I try to reach it, I get hit on the hand. And I was like, Puck. <laughs> uh, okay, got it, don't touch it, I watch. Well, he was speaking in French, I had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> but you know, the, the tap always worked, not anymore. How many hours a week did you work there? Uh, I was doing eight hours there, then I was going to school and then going to work with the ladies. Oh, really? Yeah. And that school, was it culinary school or was yeah, it culinary regular school? school? So while you were in, while you were working eight hours there, mm. then culinary school, and then after that, these ladies were up after, late. Yeah. They would start at midnight or something, and I would go work from midnight to, yeah, 6.30 in the morning, then t take a shower, take a bath, go work sleep a little bit in between, go to school, and then go to work again. It was exciting. I love it. I, I found what I love, and I have, you know, it was an interesting time. I had no idea what I was going to do, and all of a sudden that fell into my lap, which I feel very lucky. Um, so, so then, uh, what, what year, how old were you when you were at that restaurant? I think that was like 97. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then, did you go to work for Francis? Malman after then, that? Then after that, I went to work for Francis Malman that also have no idea who he was. He looked exotic. And he is exotic, yes. Definitely. Um, so yeah, so I was like, exotic, I take that. Um, yeah, so I started working. I started I start with him and spent some, a winter at this place that he used to have called Los Negros. And it's like a beauty, it was a, the most beautiful place, but also really small place, and we were able, in the other kitchens, you weren't able to have your hands around everything, and this restaurant, you were doing everything from from the bread to the desserts to the sauces. It, it was just cleaning, doing everything. It was like... How long were you there for? I mean, we did the winter, then, well, after that, I started working for him. Like, I worked for like eight years. So what did you learn from Francis? Everything, <laughs> pretty much. I, I, I tried to learn everything. It was some things that, no, I mean, like, you know, he's his own thing. He's very unique, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, um, I don't think Americans know him all that well because... No, but I think after he, that TV show, after the team, they, they've seen him, but I don't, you know, I don't think that they know his food and his style. Yeah. Well, if you had to describe him, and what would you say as you know, unique from other chefs, and what do you think he uniquely gave you? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, the interesting thing about Francis is like he doesn't really have those many rules. He has parameters, but within those parameters, he doesn't care. Uh, He's, you know, as long as you are within those parameters, he has, is free. And he really teach you how to be free um, and not restrain yourself. You know, it's like you have techniques, but he will always be challenging. Why, why we don't, you know, like, oh, you're supposed to cook this in a very slow temperature. He's like, go as hard as you can go. You know, it will be the opposite or... You know, he, he had, you know, he got for a very French trained background and he get all fed up with the whole fine dining and like all the French way of doing things. And for me it was interesting because now he, he's in a different place. He's kind of doing his thing, but I was like through the transition of like him being all fed up with his way of doing things and 
I was I was through the process that he was grappling, trying to figure it out, like his his way of doing it. Wasn't that long, eight years to spend with one person? One I don't know, I have fun. I, I was doing it with a lot, I learned a lot. Uh, was it a constant learning, even, you know, eight years in? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, we were able to travel, we were, you know, it was, it was very interesting, but yeah, there is a lot to learn, you know, and that's another subject, but yeah. I think it's it's important to to put your time before you start doing. I don't know. You you have to learn it from A to C to C to A and south to north, west to east. Like it's, it's very important. You you understand what you're doing, you know. And like un until you know, it's like it becomes. I don't know. I never get bored. I, I really. Then how I did you know when you wanted to move on? When we would argue a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we get to argue a lot. It was an interesting. Yeah, it's more like yeah, and he kind of like he's like all right, it's time. So he's like very encouraging and like yeah. He was he he connected me with 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 someone like here in New York and he was like you should you should do this I think you can handle it I'm like I don't know um, but yeah I did it so you came to New York in uh, two or six two thousand six and uh, two of six seven seven and where was the first place you Il Boco Il Boco so with Donna. Donna. Yes. And Peter Kaminsky, did he have anything Peter to Kaminsky. do with that? Yeah, Peter Kaminsky was a f good friend of Francis. Yes. And I met Peter back in the day cooking in some inhospitable place in Argentina. And yes, we were doing this picnic and yeah, we meet with Peter and then they did the connection and I ended up meeting Donna and cooking at the Buco, which is an amazing place down the street. So, and it was known for its Italian food. Mm -hmm. So, and Francis's food is not, it's Francis, is not Italian food. So were you, what did, what did you do to do the menu at Il Buco? What did you, how did you conceive that? And now you have your own kitchen. What mm -hmm. was that like? I mean, I spent time traveling, I spent time in kitchens. While with Francis, I, I, I would go, to kitchens and stuff like that, and and everything makes made sense. I I spent time in Italy and like I I fell in love with the food. I mean, I, I grew up eating that stuff, but um, uh, the whole process it was interesting. It was very interesting because every every season the menu is supposed to change, and I was like, what? So it was a little bit, uh, you know, with France, it was, like, it, it was different. It was a different structure, and the menu here, it was constantly changing, supposed to be changing every day. So it was, a, it was an interesting process in pushing, you, pushing yourself out of the comfort zone and figuring out, like, you know, we, I kind of roll with the punches. So when you first had your, your own kitchen, you're the chef, you... After all those years, you kind of say to yourself, when I have my own kitchen and I'm my own chef, mm. it's going to be this way. What kinds of things did you want to do in your kitchen that you felt strongly about and carries through to today? I think it's, 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 it's different, you know? Like, my kitchen, I mean, that's Estela. Like, all the other kitchens, you know, I was running the kitchen, but it's very difficult when, like, you're not... Yeah, I don't think... I think at Estela, finally, I was able to do that, to do how I, you know, we, we doing it, how we want things to be, how I envision, how, as a cook, I would love the kitchen that I'm working at to be. Um, I don't know. Uh, at Il Bugo, it's, it's different. You're coming to a kitchen that was already set. All the rules were in place things, like everything was defined and determined and like it was just very hard to break into it. I mean, of course, you improve it and you do, 
um, give, me an give me an example of a dish that, you know, in a normal restaurant or somebody else's restaurant, you wouldn't find. And at Estella, you would find. What, what dish really kind of hones into the DNA of Estella? I mean, the tartare. Um, Why? What about the tartare? And interesting with the tartare, I start with that dish at the buco. You know, the original started at the buco. But, you know, maybe I wasn't mature enough to figure it out to the point that I figured it out down, down the line. Um, I don't know, it's pretty bold. It's a very bold dish. What it makes it unique, um, understanding the ingredients and how those ingredients are layered within a certain way and order. Um, don't understand that. Uh, I don't know. We have this, I mean, it's a very simple dish. It's just like uh, bison with uh, sunchok uh, chips, fish sauce, pickle, uh, green elderberries. Um, and what else I'm using, Jake? You've done, you done it more often than I lately. Lemon, chili, yeah, and a little chili. Um, so Jake's run. He was running in the kitchen, not anymore. Now he's in vacation. So we open, <laughs> we open a new place. But in the meantime, he's chilling, kind of. Um, but it's, a, again, a pretty bold dish. That's how we do things over at Estela. Uh, I personally really like eating clean food. Um, and the whole purpose of Estela was like how to how to simplify the dishes, you know, and and I think that's kind of like what they find, you know, like the food at Estela it looks in a way that's very unassuming. Like when you eat it, you are like, holy fuck! Sorry. <laughs> um, it's Heritage Radio. You can say whatever you uh, want. You can say it. <laughs> right, Aaron. But but you are like. You just get caught by surprise because it's not—it's it's not what you're expecting to be. It just looks very unassuming, um, and it's kind of like the play that we take on it. Also, it's this whole idea of like, uh, like for me, it doesn't really matter how it looks; it doesn't taste and eats well. Uh, however, there is a lot of attention at the visual of it. It's like a lot of thought put into it, but like the visual cannot de determine. It's like. The taste and how it eats comes first. Um, however, they're you know they're curated dishes are nauseous. Like, I mean, and even if this like you know the tartare is like a pile of a pile, and <laughs> and it's put up in that way in in purpose. It's just because that's like it doesn't matter how it looks. Mm -hmm. It's how it tastes and eats above anything else. So the, I didn't want to get into this till later, but since we're talking about Estella, I mean, to make the 50 greatest restaurant list mm -hmm. is, you know, some chefs, they work their whole life, they, they kill for this, you know, they think they have to um, have a three-star Michelin, um, multi-million dollar, uh, you know, bathroom. Uh, well, to you're complaining qualify. about our bathroom, don't you? No. No, the the thing that is so amazing, uh, and the only place I think that Michelin lets people get away with it is in Japan. I mean, you know, down in the subway, they have three-star Michelin places in in Japan. I mean, Estella just breaks the mold of what people think is going to make the 50 top uh, restaurant list. But, you know, you if you talk to chefs, I mean, it's their favorite place to eat. What... I, I, did you did you create that place thinking it was going to be as as uh, well regarded as it is and and being placed on that list of I believe so <laughs> I believe so but I mean I don't know we focus is it on the day today I mean is it when you go there you say hey I you know I want to do my stuff but boy I really want to knock it out of the park and Jake 
So are you competitive with yourself as opposed to you ever look at other restaurants? Absolutely. We are, and that was one of the things that we said from day one. I, I, I went into a bubble and I was like, I didn't give a fuck about what people were doing. I didn't want to look at photos of food. I, I, seriously, uh, you know, when we opened, it was a time where like Scandinavian food is like, I'm like, I don't care about this. I eat that stuff. I think it's great what they do. Like we're in New York, it's like fine. I like I want more salt on my food. I want it, you know. <laughs> like, but I I love it. But I think it has its place. But I think everybody all the sudden it was just copying each other and we're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, this is stupid. It's like I don't want to do this. I want to find out what we're made out of, you know. Like I for me it was challenging myself also in many different ways, but you know, like all the sudden everybody's using all these ceramic plates and you know, I was like, I want the most standard crappy plate that we can find. You know, of course it need to feel good, they need to look good, but it's just a simple white plate that was um, a lot of restraint within the, the plate itself. Um, so you could not have like um, negative space perhaps that all the, everybody was, you have one thing here and the other thing is there. And I was like, what the hell is this? You know, like <laughs> how I eat this, you know? And all of a sudden you get instructions how to eat it. It's just like, I was like, I just, I want delicious food. And, but it's still, it can be thought put into it. And, and it was also about stripping down all the bullshit that it was, they would come with dining, you know? And I come from doing tasting menu and, you know, prefix menu, better said. And, you know, that created a lot of challenge to a lot of people at the time in New York um, that we did this place in, in Brooklyn. Um, and all of a sudden we were like, okay, we have this place. I team up with my partner and we were at both at a stage. We were like, okay, we cannot fuck this one up. We need to make this one work. Uh, we found a space that Yes, it's, it wasn't ideal, but it felt right. And we had to make it work, you know? Um, it's, the kitchen is still pretty much the original skeleton. Um, and everything was based, okay, what we can do out of this place that it only has a flat top. And you have a small stove and a salamander. That was all we have. And we didn't wanna, I didn't wanna have any gimmicky trick or whatever. I just want to keep it as basic and straightforward and really restrain ourselves as to the limit so we could find a way of finding an identity. I mean, that's, I think that was also the, like the biggest motivation is like, okay, like we need to find our own identity. And that's, I guess, is why the place is also successful, but not just on, on the food, but it's like, you know, service-wise, and like the people that works there, and like everybody that works there really loves working there. And that was part of the whole, um, you know, foundation behind it, but like... How much, how much of a team atmosphere is there when you're doing a menu, for example, or when you're thinking, I mean, there's gotta be some pressure you know, of people now, oh, you know, you have all of these accolades and they, they're coming there. Do you feel pressure on creating new menus? No, no. And that was one of the main things from the get-go. I didn't want to, you know, we were doing this whole thing. I was like changing the menu every day and like, I was like, okay, I don't want to change the menu every day. Why? You know, I want to have a life and I want to be able to make, I want to be confident that the dishes are going to be consistent and delicious, you know? And also, I get annoyed when I go to a place and, you know, it's just people just throwing shit into a plate and saying, okay, this is a dish that I come out with. This is bullshit. And I don't want to do that. And I didn't want to put the, the, the stress, not myself or anybody working at the restaurant, in the kitchen, I and mean, this is something that we talk quite often. It's like, I, I don't, yeah, of course we're 
pushing. Like on a daily basis, we're working in different dishes, but it had to make sense. If you want to take something, I mean, the whole menu at Stella, it's like, it's, it's heat. It's like one thing after the other. It's just, you're going to get slapped on the face. You know, it's just, it's going to happen. And it's very consistent. It's across the board. You know, it's, it, it's, it's the, the motivation behind it is to assure that the place is as consistent as could be. Um, and then coming out with dishes, yeah, we're constantly working on that. There is a lot of limitation with the space. We don't have a tasting ki a, a, a kitchen for doing tasting, menu. tasting different, you know, and developing menus. It's not really that much space, but um, we're working on that. And like last night, we were working on, on dishes. It was like, what time? 11.30? And that's the time when everything is winding down and we're talking about the thing and, you know, we taste the foundation of the dish and today the menu, it's, it's on the menu. But it took, it took, it took a little time. Um, so tell me about New York and Estella. Could you think your restaurant could work in Paris, Montevideo? I have to say, like, I think the food is, and, and this is something that I said it from day one, I, I want to have a universal palate. And when I say universal, it's um, my mom it will come and, not, and it would enjoy it. And like anybody, it will go there and enjoy it. And that's, a, and that's also why it hits so many people. It's because it's, I believe that it's like universal palate. I mean, do you give anybody a, a hamburger, a burger, and I mean, it's good, what not to like about it, a, a slice of pizza. And even if we're doing a tartare or if we, we're doing a, a, a crudo, and it could be like super bold, but it just, it just hit this, you know, it just touched the soul. And that's my motivation, is trying to come out with a dish. It doesn't matter your background, who the hell you are you want to be like, wow, you know, but the food cannot get on the way of the experience. I mean, it's a fun dining room, very lively. Um, and the food has its moment, but it doesn't take the show. It's not about the chef. It's not about, it's just about you having a good time on the table. So when you go out to eat, not at your restaurant, yeah. where do you like to eat? When Whose like food eat? do you admire? Um, oh, that's interesting. Uh, we're here in New York. Um, I don't know. I think Tony Adler of Franny was doing something amazing. Um, I mean, it's a bunch of people. I have a bunch of friends. It's just, yeah, it's a bunch of places. Like, come on, don't comp like, you're compromising me. <laughs> well, you know, I guess. Uh, I have my neighborhood places that I go, and I really enjoy going, but, yeah. But is New York, um, how do you see New York as a culinary city? You know, it's pretty amazing. Could you, I mean, is it, do you feel at home here? Do you think this is where you'll always stay? And is, because I think Estelle is a very New York restaurant, mm -hmm. you know, and, and captures that international uh, universal palate. But that was also was one of the motivation is like, it was like, we're in New York, how we can make it as New York as possible? And it's also, I, you know, it takes a minute to spend, you know, I, I have spent some time here, and finally I'm understanding how people want to eat here. And that's something that I took in consideration a lot, beyond what I like to eat, you know? And I, when we talk about this a little bit, you know, we do lamb, and the restaurant, I hate lamb. But, you know, we have lamb in the menu. People love lamb. So who the fuck cares what I don't like? <laughs> so, but I can, you know, we, I'm, we're making the ribs in a way that I, you know, if I had to eat them, I fucking eat those, the lamb. But for the you make it the way you like it. As a yeah. Producer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not broccoli. <laughs> I, I, I prefer broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what do you think of critics? Have you ever, you know, if you get a bad review, um, or if you get somebody criticizes you, do you, know. do you explode? Cook, if they can cook. Does he explode? If they can cook, I respect them. 
If they can cook, sure. If they understand what it takes to open a restaurant, if they work in a restaurant before, I, I, I would listen to them. Until then, I, I don't care. You know, it's, I'm not doing it for them. And I'm, you know, I, I believe in what I can do and what the team can do. Like, and I want to sound arrogant. It's like this whole same thing. It's like, you're not doing it for one person. It's, you know, and this is a very fascinating, it's very intriguing, you know, how someone can love something and someone else can just hate it. You know, I mean, it's, but, yeah, no, I, I think in cook, if they understand what it takes, then I'm happy to take it. If they're doing something, cross, constru, you know, it's a constructive uh, criticism for sure, but like, it is very blurry, the whole thing. Why did you open Altera? Altro, uh, why? Because I love Italian food. And I think it's, a lot of Italian restaurants in New York, but I think it's still room to find an identity. Even if it's like much more subtle, like with Estella, it's more of a statement. It's like a much more, I find it easier to be able to understand why you're different than the rest. In this one, it just takes a certain maturity to understand the subtleties behind this restaurant, which I think is a, I think it's a beautiful restaurant. I it's really, beautiful. I really love it. I think the food it's, I mean, it's five, six months old right now, five and a half. Um, so it needs time, like anything else. You know, Stella, it took us, I don't know, like a year and a half, maybe. I don't know. It took a year and a half. That I remember riding my bike, going back home, and I was like, okay, I can be run by a car right now. And this is gonna work, you know. I mean, no, but by that point, you understood, you understood what the language was at the place. I think we all knew what the what the hell we were doing. But it took it took a little bit of time to figure it out. We have a a way of how do we do things. It's it's a formula behind these things. That doesn't mean that we settle down and like we have the formula. We're trying to evolve that. And Altro is on the process of that, you know, and we have like this very athletic, handsome, you know, restaurant and that everybody loves and all the time you get this kid is a little bit, you know, it's, it's a little clumsy and it's, you know, it's just, it's figuring out his way. But um, I think it's in a really good place. I think, I don't know, I think Altro is in a better place than Stella was at the same age. Well, practice makes perfect. Right. So tell me, who is your favorite diner? You know, what, what do chefs like to see? Who is their favorite client that comes into a restaurant? What do you like to, what do they act like? What do, what do, they, what do they order? I mean, I don't know. You want somebody who's respectful. That's, that's it, you know, respectful to every single member of the staff. Um, and... And they then show themselves, you know, as long as people really enjoy themselves, you know, like, and they're comfortable and they really want to have a good time. Uh, they're usually drinking. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. It's really hard to, yeah. I, I think you want people that are open and willing to show themselves and like really put the guard down and like have no expectations. I think that's, you know, that's the, the devil. Uh, is, there an, is there an annoying customer in New York? Is there a type? I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, foodies. Oh, foodies <laughs> taking pictures. Does it bother you when people take pictures of the food? Well, on that aspect, I, we made the dining room super dark. So, <laughs> but then, then against us, all the time you see all these horrendous photos on the internet. And you're like. Fuck me. These people, how, how people don't realize that this is just a horrendous photo? And they're like posting it. And you're like, great. All right. Now our image just is ruined. Um, I don't know. We make it in purpose. Yeah. Super dark and like, 
just because like it doesn't really I don't know like the food it's as important as it is it's not really it's about you enjoying yourself and having a good time if you are with a a person you are with a group of people if you are sitting at the bar alone just you want people to really just put the guard down and have a good time and overthink it and you know, I just I really appreciate when people come to the back and say, "Hey, thank you, so, thank you. That was delicious." I was like, "That's it. That's you know, plenty." So, what what challenges you this these days? What's out there that's exciting and challenging? And in which way? In food, like what is it? Like people doing? No, you know it's. Is there a, a dish you want to create? Is there uh, a team you want to assemble? Is there a recognition you want to get that is a challenge for you that you're striving towards? Well, we're doing a couple. We're doing a new place now, and yes, uh, now it's creating an identity again. You know, you come out with start with this idea and like. You know, we've been working on, on the menu for this new place. And, of course, there's just expectations. But at the same time, you are like, doesn't matter. Like, let's focus on with muscling this whole menu. But it's also really hard because we are not in the kitchen yet. Um, that's challenging. I mean, we want to, any opening is really difficult because, you know, you have to put this, place up and running with no time and every day it's just it's an intense round you know you just it's very intense and you have to do the adjustment very quickly because tomorrow like you cannot do the same mistake and people are coming with a certain level of expectation so I am very excited about that it's really exhausting at the same time the whole process but um, we are, yeah, we're working on that now. We, we're trying to figure it out, like, how we can make it ownable and, yeah, how to come out with another identity. We have a formula, but still, we're doing this new restaurant on the Upper, upper East Side, and we want to stay true to what we are, but at the same time, it's a different clientele, and I think it's very important, that's part of the success of Estela or Altro, is like reading and figuring out the, the need on the community. Like, what is missing? But not just with Estela, perhaps it was like, what it was missing at that time in New York, at that, in the location. It's like all these elements. That it's going to be at 75th and Madison at the, at the Met, that's Metropolitan correct. Museum. That's mm -hmm. exciting. What's the hardest thing you've ever faced in your life? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you're like, Other than this interview? <laughs> like, uh, what? No, no, we're not going to go that deep. Okay. But, <laughs> but like, knee surgery sucks. Yeah. yeah. yeah You've had knee surgery? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's from being a chef. No. That's from playing soccer. Mm-mm. Oh, <laughs> I, I get into martial arts and I really get excited and oh. you know. Which martial art? Brazilian Shishitsu. So anyway, yeah, I was too old for it. Anyway, well, but that yeah, surgery is interesting. Name just a happy keep, moment. Just to keep the answer light. Yes. Well, <laughs> what? What? Name a happy moment in your life. Happy moment. Uh, I don't know. Every morning I, I wake up and I'm, I'm, I have my moment of happiness. People express in different ways, you know. Um, I don't know. Talk with my son. It feels good. I don't know. Having my cortado and, you know, making sure that it tastes delicious. <laughs> Made me pretty happy. Um, that coffee wasn't that good today in the morning. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a good beginning. But... Um, Anyway, I, I mean, a good coffee made me pretty happy, I'd say. I love that I, answer. I, I love that know, answer. It's, it's real. <laughs> a, a good, honest plate of food. I mean, 
family meal today was pretty simple and delicious. Curry and rice was like amazing. Um, yeah, simple things. No? Okay. Well, we, you know, the great thing is we have this wonderful audience here that came out to see you tonight. And I think we're going to open it up for questions, if that's right. okay with you. And we might even have some questions on Facebook. So, let's turn to the audience. Anybody have any questions here? Oh, come on. You're not making me do all the work up here. He's so sweet. I have a question. Okay. I have the mic, too, so... One of you is next. Um, how do you balance work and your family life? Um, you fuck up and then you learn. Um, how do you do that? I don't know, it, discipline, like anything. You just need to learn how to be, I'm, I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's just like being present and try to focus and prioritize and in what matter at that particular moment. It's a challenge for everybody. Uh, we're always trying to be somewhere else that we're not and having something that we are, have it right in front of us, but we feel that it's somewhere else. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's tricky. I think every day you just face that challenge, but, but it's just making smart decisions. It's like what we were saying about, like, perhaps menu, you know, like you can drive yourself crazy or just simplify things and try to make it uh, sustainable and like, you know, and your mind always screw things up and get you into trouble, but like, it's controlling the ego and just putting it in place um, and reminding that, you know, certain things that know that's important and that most people are not able to see them. Um, but it's, yeah, for, yeah, still trying to figure it out. I don't know what's the exact answer for it, but um, I don't know. I know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. I'm, 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 Let us I'm know working when you figure on it that. Out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, believe me, every day I ask the same question. More questions? Oh, we have one over there. How stylistically different do you want your new restaurant com compared to your other restaurants? You know, in a mu uh, museum, I believe? Yeah. Um, I mean, there is similarities. I, you know, like, we like what we like. It's like a certain style, like, you know, in terms of material, we like very primal type of materials. Um, in the museum, we're in a, in, in a place that it has it's a very famous building, um, and it has a lot of characters, so it's, it was very interesting to get into a space and making sure that what you're doing fits that needs. Uh, but still, you need to make it feel comfortable and cozy. But um, yeah, you don't want to copy and paste, right? Uh, the same place, but the materials, you know, it's marble, it's bronze, it's um, still, um, and when you get to the food, we are we're figuring it out. You know, we have all these formulas on how do we do certain things, but you need to get, you know, you need to get into the space and start figuring it out, like how you want to present it. Like right now, for me, it's like how that food is going to look on the plate. It's like. I know that it's going to taste good, I know that, but it's just figuring out an identity and, and a, an aesthetic in the, way, in the way that the food is going to be presented, that for me, and, and it, it's very important to, to have that, that we have it at Estela, but I don't know exactly how we're going to do it this time. You know, we have a, a direction somehow, but um, definitely wanted to make a statement, a, a bold statement behind it. Uh, we have a question over there. Yeah, Chef. Are there wines produced in Uruguay? Wines. Wines, yeah, there, there is wines. Yeah, actually. I'm meeting somebody tomorrow, actually, that's bringing wine because I, 
I shit, I talk shit about the wines, and now this guy is like, I want to bring you this bottle, and I'm meeting him tomorrow. Um, yes, there is some good white wines. I mean, the reds are pretty well-known, Tanat. Um, but I haven't been in a long time in Uruguay, so I don't really have that much knowledge about it. And whenever I go, I, I haven't been impressed by any of the wines. It's good olive oil and oh, yeah? good salt. Yeah, which is pretty... I was really shocked. I was there two years ago, and I was, like, really blown away by the olive oil that I have over there and salt, which it's, it's, it's interesting. It seems like uh, whatever, but it's, it's, it's changing a lot. It's, like, some are good you, ingredients over there. Are you... Uh, we're we're going to be starting first time ever in the world mm -hmm. an olive oil certification program here in October, and we're doing it with the olive oil... Times, and you know they the Olive Oil Times every year runs a competition, the only one in the world of tasting mm -hmm. uh, like a thousand olive oils from all over the world, and um, so they've done that a few times here, and they realize you know with all of the fraud that's going on with olive oil that you really need people to start tasting olive oil before they buy it, you know, in in large places and and in uh, restaurants. And the one thing I learned from them hosting them here is that there is south, you know, southern uh, olive oils and northern, you know, northern, uh, uh, north of the equator and south of the equator. And that you shouldn't eat an olive oil uh, that's more than six months old. And so, in fact, if you're really a foodie, <laughs> you should have two different olive oils, one from the southern hemisphere and one from the northern hemisphere. And when you think about it, their harvesting times are different. Are different. Mm -hmm. And they all are like with terroir of having different flavors and robustness. And so I think we're going to see um, a real explosion of exciting olive oils in the world. And uh, we're all going to get a lot more... Uh, refined in tasting olive oils. So, you know, Uruguay, you know, you, get, you can get the... We, we, we better go down there oil. and find... Yeah, we do have a good olive oil. Do you, can you taste a difference in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. Do you cook with it? I mean, not now, but we got some samples at the restaurant and we were using it and we, we need to find... I don't know, olive oil is it's fascinating. And I don't know how much you guys know about olive oil, but perhaps... Like Adilbugo, like I learned a lot about it, and and it's very interesting. You know, it's an interesting tool. We can we can play against you. You know, I mean, sometimes they have so much character that it's like it's it's just it's all about the olive oil. You know, so it's a, you have to learn how to use them and how to, you know how to, where to locate those olive oils. Um, we cannot simplify that, Stella. We find you know, perhaps olive oils that are like more malleable and not so robust. Uh, at Altro, perhaps we mess around a little bit more. Um, I don't know I love olive oil, a good good olive oil, but of course, usually the good, really good olive oils are impossible to cook with. Um, it's just you know, bread and oil. That's that's how you supposed well, to eat it. I tell you, this course, I, I can't tell you how deep it gets. I was looking at the curriculum, and it goes on for days, but there's so much to learn. But anyway, let's not digress. And, and yeah, the, I said yeah. it was all about you, not you in olive oil. <laughs> we got another question here. Yeah. Uh, hi. Uh, I have two questions. I'm Uruguayan, by the way. Wow. Uh, so, Impressive. Um, huh? <laughs> that's like, it's rare. So I have two questions. The first, it's regarding wine that we were talking before, uh, what do you think, uh, or how, how's your process of creation, like when you create the menu, like how do you integrate the wine, like what's the role of the wine in that creative process? And, and the second one, uh, so I just throw them all together, it's um, regarding uh, like Uruguayan wine and like you being also like a Uruguayan ambassador here, like how do you, like do you feel like that, um, I don't know, like any responsibility, like to portray your your roots, like in your food or like your wine selection or not? Like, have you ever considered that? Okay, I'm like the worst person for this. <laughs> like seriously, um, 
I do not, like Estela, it's actually, and I can talk for my partner too, like the food dictates everything around it. Like food comes first, wine comes second. Uh, and by that, he takes care of the selection in a way that, you know, you're picking wines that they're going to marry it with the food properly. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a wine friendly food at all, like in terms of like very serious wines. We have a, you know, we have a, a, a clientele that is very knowledgeable about wine. We have some investors that are, you know, big collectors and it's like, you know what, it doesn't, you cannot bring your wines here. It's not gonna work. You're gonna, you know, we're gonna screw it up. Um, so, n no, like the wine doesn't dictate how we're doing things. It's all about the food. And then he does his work, you know? I, I do my job and he does his job and making it fit the right wines. At Altro, perhaps, it's, it's, it's much more friendly um, for, for, uh, for wines. Estella has a lot of acidity. It's like, it's, it's a lot going on on the food. Um, and when you get to be an ambassador of, like, I, no, I don't feel any responsibility uh, to do that. Of course, I very, you know, acknowledge where I come from and being Latin and having a certain, um, you know, passion and intensity of doing certain things. Uh, but I embrace that, but no, I don't feel that. I, I, I'm kind of based on New York. I'm in love with this town and I just love that it's a melting pot of different backgrounds, and I think that that's much more important than trying to, you know, trying to say something about, I don't know, like, of course, I love certain things about the food that I grew up eating, but at the same time, it's, it's not so, it's not that important. I'm bad at it, sorry. I should okay. not say that. We have another question here. Now I know that you're not going to like my question because it's also about Uruguay. But you're from Uruguay too? No, I'm from Chile. No. <laughs> but, um, well, I know you're very settled here in New York, but in the last five, six years, the restaurant scene in South America has been changing a lot, especially with the creation of the Latin America's 50 Best. Haven't you ever felt, like, curious? Like, I don't know, like, opening a restaurant in Uruguay or maybe a pop-up restaurant because I don't know if you all know but rest but summer over there in Uruguay it's really hot everybody goes there there's a lot happening there people from all over the world they go there you mm -hmm. guys have two restaurants in Latin America's 50 best like haven't you felt curious like want to explore do something over there I we went two years ago for vacation and it was the best trip in a long time uh, we went to do a story for Sabor Magazine, and yeah, it was, it was fun, but I'd rather go on vacation. Like, I'd rather go for vacation. South America is great at, I, I just, New York is a very unique place in terms to work in restaurant. It's like, people go out all the time and they go all day long. I, I found South, South America and Europe very challenging. It's just in the way that people dine, you know, like people eat in two hours. Like people go out between eight and ten, and it's just horrible. It's just, it's, it's you get smack, all in one shot. And then to run a business is very difficult. It's very difficult because, you know, here you have people coming in at 5:30, wanting to come and eat. I, I just, I'm kind of, you know, it's exciting. I'm, I'm, I really try to be as supportive as possible, and I think it's great. I mean, it's a lot of potential over there, but I, I'm in love with this town. It's weird, you know. I, we love I, you back. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else here from Uruguay? No. Okay, there's another last question. Last question here. Um, is there a restaurant or a place that you haven't been to yet that you're really excited to try or looking forward to? Some place you're like, I really want to go there. 
restaurant. I haven't been to Attica in Australia, and I think I really want to go to Attica. Um, That's Ben Shuri. Ben right? Shuri, yeah. Great guy. Um, then I've been eating around quite a bit. I never been to Japan, and that's on the list. And when I go there, I, it's it's a big list of restaurants that I really want to go. Um, but it, yeah, I think Attica. I think it's he's doing again something with a lot of personality and character, and you know, a guy that is focused in doing his thing. You know, very committed to the craft of it. Um, yeah, that restaurant, Attica. Okay, do we get any questions on Facebook? Cool. Is there someone who has a burning desire? Oh, Katie, is there anybody on Facebook asking a question? Oh, you slaggards back home, you know, there. You're just enjoying the show. Well, I want to thank you so much, thank you, Matthew. This is, I, you know, I just love talking to him. I had the privilege of going over and uh, for coffee uh, last week, and we were just going to talk 15 minutes, and we wound up talking an hour and a half. You know, there's such wisdom here. <laughs> thank you so much, you. and I want to, I want to. Do a shout-out. I always do a shout-out to my producer, Robin Cohen. She's here tonight, so those of you who want to... <laughs> and I want to thank Kristen Lau and, uh, for helping, and Nick and Katie um, and Olivia on uh, social media or, or, and the filming. And last but not least, Aaron Fairbanks and Heritage Radio. Um, we're so proud to be part of the family. So thanks for coming and watching Chef's Story, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>